Welcome to Into the Wormhold. I am Lauren Lowen, and I am stuck down here with my captain, Larissa Maestro. Yay! Hey. <laughs> we're going to talk about some Star Trek, and we're going to have a good time doing it, like we always do. Yeah, we are. This is all we have. Right. <laughs> As all the car commercials are telling us, these are uncertain times. <laughs> yeah, so if, you're, if you just uh, got back from a trip around the galaxy or something... There is an international pandemic. So we're all stuck in our houses, or most of us are, at least. Uh, Lauren and I are both lucky enough to be stuck in our houses and not out in the world. But this is kind of a time, I feel like, for me, I'm diving into stuff that makes me feel comforted. And absolutely, 100%, Star Trek is one of those things. Yes. So I'm watching an extra amount of Star Trek. <laughs> and I think, uh, Larissa, I don't know if you want to explain our kind of concept for this episode. It definitely has to do with current events. Oh, yeah. I get So our concept is Star Trek self-care. So we are choosing to talk about two of our personal favorite episodes of Star Trek um, that we like to watch to comfort ourselves and make ourselves feel better about the world or to escape into them because the story's so good or to just hang out with our friends that are in these episodes. <laughs> yeah, and Larissa picked Remember Me from TNG and I picked The Wire from Deep Space Nine, which I'm excited to really go into Deep Space Nine. We haven't quite done a Deep Space Nine episode yet. So oh. I really enjoy that. We did talk about, we had, I had a couple of fake episodes that were fake DS9 bad episodes in our true, teaser. True, true. Which sadly will never come to be because I was really looking forward to the Bonnaroo drugs on the space oh, station. Oh man, that would have been excellent. Excellent. So I think we should be honest. This is actually funny. This is the second time we've recorded this episode. We recorded it exactly a week ago, only to find out that our audio screwed up because we're still trying to figure out how our setup is outside of the We Own This Town studio, um, which has a wonderful setup. And Larissa is a champ kind of setting up our remote subspace recording <laughs> session. Um, but we did it and it didn't quite work out. So we're doing it again. I mean... Yeah, anybody who is trying to do a podcast right now can totally relate to the problems that we're having with this. <laughs> ah, but so the first time we recorded this, it was fun. We kind of talked about some of our, uh, before we started the main uh, kind of section of the podcast, we talked about some of our honorable mentions or other episodes that we like. I don't know if you want to do that again. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I know for me, an honorable mention is... Uh, we mentioned it actually last time in our Picard 1 through 5 review, but I really enjoy Disasters, which is a TNG episode. It is basically a 90s disaster film done on the Enterprise where this ship kind of is just dead in the water and all the characters are separated in these little story vignettes and some of them are hilarious. Worf has to deliver Keiko's baby. And oh my that's God, a very I love fish, that part. Yeah, fish out of the water story and then you have Picard who is stuck in the turbo lift with the kids and that's very endearing and sweet and then you have kind of a serious uh, storyline on the bridge because it's Roe, Miles and Troy who is actually left in charge of the Enterprise and they're trying to give her different advice about what she should do and then she ends up kicking ass yeah it's a for me that one is definitely a fun episode also data's head comes off it's just <laughs> there's a lot of fun moments and a lot of different it's a, a wild ride going on what was that kid growing radishes he's the yes he's the <laughs> officer will in be my of radishes my first officer of radishes that's one of my favorite <laughs> lines and they grew all weird <laughs> <laughs> so um that's one of mine what about you like what's another one that you were considering for this episode so i had um attached because i love me some uh beverly picard intimacy exploration and it's also just like they're both such great actors and you can tell they like really like each other a lot and we're having a great time 
doing that episode. It's the one where they can hear each other's thoughts and it's really so cute. I know. I actually, when I had time, when I was a little, little kid, that's one of the episodes that I remember, particularly the, the fireside chat scene between them. And, it, and also like Patrick Stewart is like peak hotness in that episode as well. Like for me as an adult human now, as opposed to when I was watching it as a kid. Um, and then as far as other uh, heartwarming episodes go, Dark Page is one that I think we'll talk about in the future when we talk about Luxana. But it's about a mother-daughter relationship, and it's so sweet. It makes me cry every single time I watch it. I fucking love it. And then, like, you know, the obvious ones, like Inner Light, uh, you know, Measure of a Man, which we talked about last yes. episode. Like, all the, all the like, top-notch writing Iborg, stuff. like, we both. Oh, That's yes. one of our favorites for both of us. Oh, I fucking you. love you. Love and then we it. mentioned last time, even Deep Space Nine, even though you have the Dominion War and stuff, there's the episode where I think it's called The Magnificent Frangi. It's where um, Iggy Pop guest stars. Oh, as yeah. It's basically himself in Star Trek makeup. Um, <laughs> but it's all it's all the Frangi characters of, of Deep Space Nine, including Jeffrey Combs, who has a Frangi character and Inog and Rom and uh, Quark Moogie. trying to save Moogie. Yeah, and it's just sort of a it's a a fun wacky episode, um, and so that one's kind of a really fun one that you can just sort of even even if you're forget some of the details of where D Space Nine is at that point in the season, you can just sort of hop in and oh, enjoy yeah, it, it even, and you'll be fine. It doesn't even matter. Yes. Oh yeah, and and the other one that you mentioned was the one with Moriarty when Moriarty comes back. Yes, yes, ship in the bottle, which. The first, I think it's like oh, elementary yeah. dear data. That's the first time we meet him. But the the episode, the follow-up episode, Ship in the Bottle, is really good. And I love it because it had me fooled until they revealed like the twist. Yes. Which we won't get into here. But that would be another one that I think, you know, later when we do like a holodeck episode or something, that'd be a fun one to to yeah. touch upon well do you want to start with mine you want to start with yeah yeah me? i feel like yours is an appropriate one to start with before we get into mine okay so um i'll just do a little a little recap a lot goes on in this episode so i'll do my best i believe in um, you by the way <laughs> this is uh tng season four episode five and in this episode the first thing we see is beverly is welcoming her old friend and mentor dr dalen quace onto the Enterprise. They're stopped at a starbase and he's catching a ride with them. And they're, it's so cute, walking down the hallway, chatting. And she says, sorry to hear about your wife who just recently passed away. And then he starts talking about how uh, once you get older, your friends and family start to die. And then you feel like you didn't really give them the time that you wished that you had one when they were around you and this gets her kind of sad and so after she drops him off at his quarters she goes to visit wesley in engineering and it's so mom and it's so cute because she just shows up and wesley's like being a teenager genius running uh <laughs> running an experiment uh with a static warp bubble and he's like, Mom, what are you doing here? And she's like, don't let me interrupt you. And it's so cute because she's so She might as perfect. well have a sandwich in her hand and be like, I brought you a sandwich in right? case you're hungry. Here's I'll leave sandwich, it here. Wesley. I'll just leave it here on this console. It's so cute. So something weird happens with the experiment. There's a little flash of light and they fix it and they figure out how to make it stop or whatever. And then Wesley turns around and his mom's gone. But then we cut directly to her going back to see her friend, Dr. Dalen Quace, and he's nowhere to be found. He's not in his quarters. All this stuff is gone. And she freaks out and calls Worf because that's what you do. And Worf's like, uh, I don't remember this guy. And she's like, he's my friend. He came on. I sent a request in. It's whatever. And he's like, yeah, but his stuff's gone. Like, I don't know. OK, we'll look for him. And then they go to see O'Brien, which is where he was obviously transported onto the ship and O'Brien's like what I don't remember that you just came in here and you were like thanks and I was like okay and nobody remembers him um but all of the crew is like we're gonna do our best to find him we're gonna figure it out meanwhile P 
people just start disappearing left and right. Beverly's entire staff disappears. And she's like, um, everyone's gone. And the rest of the crew that remain are like, um, no, they're not. We're supposed to only have 300 people on the ship. Yeah, Beverly is the only one who is noticing all these disappearances. Yes, she's the only one that remembers any of these people. We get whittled down to eventually when it's just Beverly and Picard. And they're sitting on the bridge. And he's like, this is normal. And she's like, this is not normal. And she has a beautiful speech. uh, And then he disappears. And so she's like alone on the Enterprise. So she tries to figure out what's going on. And the rest of the episode is really just like, Beverly trying to figure out what the fuck is happening. And then finally we cut back to engineering with Wesley and Jordy. And they're trying. She's been stuck in the static warp bubble this entire time. And they're trying to get her out. So uh, and this is my least favorite part of the episode. But the traveler shows up, helps Wesley with the force (laughs) and and they get her out of the bubble uh, through this vortex which she's been avoiding which has showed up a few times inside the bubble but she's been avoiding it because it's fucking scary and then she jumps through it and everything's fine so basically what happened was whatever she was thinking at the moment she was absorbed into this warp bubble bubble is going to inform what the world is that she's existing in and she was imagining all of her friends and family around her not being there anymore and how she she would miss them and stuff. So it's really sweet. It's very tender. And also just like Gates McFadden is a fucking force of nature. She's so good in this episode because most of it, she's acting by herself. She's just yeah, she talking has to, to herself. carry a lot of it. Yeah. And she's brilliant. She's great. Not everyone can just like have a scene where they're totally alone and it's totally believable and compelling and she's able to just nail it every time so this this episode is just like a whole lot of fun for me with the exception of the traveler which we will talk about in a second yes yes not we'll my favorite that. Thing. but yeah but you, so you're you're a huge uh beverly fan though if i had to choose a doctor to be my doctor <laughs> it would be beverly she's she she always puts other people first so, like, that's what I want in my doctor. I want her to be really cool. She should be able to dance really well. Um, and also, like, just rock a blue coat, you know? Yes. <laughs> but, yes. She does a good job at that. She, she, Bev's my doctor. I also have on my notes, one of my first notes for this episode is just, like, good hair episode. Not that we want to reduce her to that. but oh, no. I, I, Her wigs the... are great. <laughs> Are they wigs? They're wigs. Really? Yes. How did you find that out? I just being a nerd and watching a, a like an STLV panel. And why? She was like they're wigs. Why? Why were they wigs? I don't know. I think maybe for continuity. I, maybe she was just working on other projects. And yeah, I guess. Keep it. Yeah. Keep it the same. They look kind great. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this. Um, I'm surprised because I mean, there's a lot of people if you look at them, especially. Um, like Troy and even Worf, yes. you know, their, their hair changes and you can kind of tell what season it is by the hair. Yeah. But um, Beverly's changes quite a bit. So I'm kind of surprised to hear their wigs just because yeah. I didn't think they would drastically change so much between all the seasons. Yeah. And cut and color. Yeah, totally. Welcome to Star Trek Hair Talk. <laughs> Star Trek Hair Talk, uh, where we only talk about hair. <laughs> Space we could hair. probably pull that off, though. Just FYI, we totally just we've talked a about it a lot in the whole last few episode episodes. With just, just conversations about hair, we'll get we'll get one of our hairdresser friends on the on the show to talk about it. Oh, I love it. Uh, but uh. but yeah, she's she looks fantastic. I mean, she's just she's fit. She's a dancer, and she's graceful and. Her face looks like Morgan Fairchild a little bit. She's got incredible cheekbones. Like, And she still is. I think gorgeous. in the last year, I've actually seen pictures of her just in the last year at conventions. And I mean, she's a stunning woman to begin with, but she's such a attractive older woman, too. She's oh, just aging yeah. so gracefully and letting her hair go gray naturally. Oh, and I love that. 
it's beautiful and yes. i'm just like props props yeah. lady like i hope that i age that gracefully like like her i feel like emmy lou harris is like in the same camp like just letting it go gray and looking stunning and she's working it yeah she's killing it so into it um so what well for me, this episode, the reason why I love it so much is pretty much Gates McFadden. Yeah, I yeah. I just want to hang out with Gates McFadden. For both of us, the episodes we chose, we're like, I, we just like really want to hang out with this character, and we love this character so much, and both of these episodes really give us that chance. Like, it's just... I mean, Beverly is in every single scene in this episode. Pretty much. Yeah, except for like a few where it's the other side and yeah. they're trying to figure out how to pull her back. But yeah. yeah, it is a Beverly episode. Just like mine, as we'll talk about, is a Garrick episode. And that is definitely why I watch it. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. And I will say, too, that I recently had a nightmare in which all of my friends and family were disappearing. <laughs> and it was scary. And then I woke up and I realized that it was this episode of Star Trek. Which made you feel kind of better. Yeah. Like, oh, it, like, it was it was comforting. Because, I mean, I was feeling that way because, like, we're in the middle of this pandemic and it's really scary. And I have um, some friends who are working on the front lines um, in healthcare and stuff. And friends that do have to go back to work because they have essential jobs. And I worry about them. And... Um, I have older parents and I worry about them. So it was definitely like, you know, my brain sorting through those feelings, but it was also my brain sorting through those feelings and then connecting them with something I love, which is Star Trek. And then when I woke up and I realized that that was why this dream turned out the way it did, I was like, oh, good brain. You know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting when you think about it, because I mean, this episode for another person could be kind of the wrong episode to watch. During- oh, yeah this this pandemic um it is kind of disturbing in that way yeah um, it is it is but i mean but for me like i just get to hang out with yeah Beverly exactly. the whole time so and and just watch her be really smart and really logical and really scientific and figure out this like really crazy problem because she wouldn't be able to get out of there if she hadn't figured it out like, it wouldn't matter how much they were trying to open up that vortex for her to jump through. If she didn't figure out what it was, she would end up smushed in there, you know? Yeah. So this is all, like, Beverly saves herself, in a way, in this episode. Oh, yeah. And I definitely have thoughts about that. I feel like before we get into the the end with the Traveler and Wesley, um, I'll just start <laughs> by kind of rewinding a little bit and saying, what I really enjoy about this episode is that it's it's kind of a Star Trek mystery episode. Yes. Um, where um, you might think that Beverly kind of very early on is talking about someone who's boarded the ship. And like you said, like Worf is sort of questioning like, well, even if they, they got lost or they fell down and injured themselves, why is their luggage gone? Those are moments that I feel like another show would just be like, Beverly, go lie down. I think you've worked too many hours. And totally. they believe. Like you're being a little crazy right now. Yeah. Oh, Beverly. <laughs> um, and But they, so even though they bring up kind of points, which I think is kind of smart for the, the viewer's sake to be yeah. like, yeah, we thought about that. You know, they believe Beverly. And it's not until this goes way far until just her and Picard that Picard is like, I've entertained your thoughts you know enough like now now we gotta kind of settle down and so and it the goes best down. part about that is that like then it's so obvious that he is being completely unreasonable like yes like there's no way that logically two people can run the flagship of the federation by themselves that's supposed yeah. to have a crew complement of a thousand plus people like there's just like he sounds ridiculous it's not she knows it's not her yeah and thank goodness they do that because i mean truly that's a big part of the episode is this sort of mystery and what's going on and if they spent the whole episode on her side of things which is no one believing her and everyone just assuming she's going crazy then what are you supposed to do you're just supposed to keep going around in circles with that concept for like 30 minutes until you wrap it up 
So yeah, it, that's it's boring. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's nice that they keep it sort of this mystery, especially since they've run into a lot of bizarre things in space. So right. if anything, they should know that this sounds weird, but we've had some really weird shit happen. So we're going to follow exactly. up with this. Exactly. My favorite scene is the one where she begs the captain to go back to the star base. And she says, I know you only have my word to convince you. And then he immediately is like, Number one, we're going back to the star base. And then he says, your word has always been good enough for me. Men, take notes. This is how <laughs> you handle the situation. Just believe it. If a person, if, so, if somebody that you care about is like freaking out about something, like believe them. And he's just being a fantastic friend in that scene. The thing I love the most about that, though, is that when we find out that this is all a created universe, from her thoughts. What I love is that all of these people here representing her friends, they're all coming from her subconscious. So like this is how she sees her friends and this is how she sees her relationships with them. And it's beautiful because like there's that. There's also that moment where she and Deanna are in the hallway and she's like, Deanna, I think I'm going crazy. And she's like, no, you're not. You're not going crazy. You're doing your best right now. And you're just looking out for your friends and for your crew, Beverly says, like, what if we go back to the star base and then it's nothing and it's just I'm crazy. And Deanna goes, so what? And that's just like, man, that's what a good friend would say. That's exactly yeah. what a good friend would do. And that speaks to how Beverly feels about her relationship with Deanna. And that's exactly. wonderful. Obviously, Beverly has a very healthy uh, perspective on her relationships and mm -hmm. everyone's being really supportive. Which is nice because if she is questioning herself, you kind of think her perspective, like her made up universe would be projecting that somehow subconsciously into the situation. Right. But, um, but again, like I'm the, glad the they didn't go that of way. Her friendships is, is what like keeps her sane in, in this new fake universe that she's stuck in or something. It's like, th I mean, those are the things that like keep her from like going totally bonkers and feeling gaslit or whatever. One of my favorite disappearances is when it's just her and Picard and she is with him on the bridge and is like, well, I've been, I'm going to say something that I've been wanting to say for a long time. You know, Jean-Luc, you and I have known each other for a long time. And she looks down for a minute to mess with one of the control panels. And when she looks up, he's gone. And she just sort of leans forward in her seat and has doesn't say anything it's not like a big reaction you can just see the gears in her head working and the way Ugh. Gates McFadden is kind of like the, the quick eye movement you can tell she's trying to like hold it together and try to figure out what to do next and it's one of my favorite sort of reactions oh I love it and it and it also like plays on all of our heartstrings because everyone's like man Picard and Crusher belong together and <laughs> she yeah, has this foiled again foiled again it's never gonna happen you guys I actually remember reading that they on purpose, I mean, I know that in all good things, they supposedly were married and divorced, but um, I guess they purposely wanted to make sure Picard and Beverly never really got together because they wanted to keep Picard open to relationships when they got to the movies. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. I know. <laughs> I'm like, fuck that, but. I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> They belong together. Everybody knows it. It's fine. Yeah, so uh, how do you feel about the Traveler? Oh, goodness. <laughs> so I've never really, I don't, I don't hate the Traveler. You know, and everything doesn't have to be you absolutely love it or you absolutely hate it. But the Traveler's never really been one of my favorite characters. I'm just kind of indifferent to it. Um, he's so tied to Wesley, too. Yeah. That That might be one of the reasons he's just very, like, Oh, Wesley, you have the ability. and It just feels very, very fantasy to me. It just feels very Star Wars to me. Like, yeah, you were describing it as space magic. Yeah, it's like he's Obi-Wan, you know, like it's. Ugh, I, I don't care for it. Um, I do know that the actor who plays the Traveler, Eric Menyuk. I think it's pronounced, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know that he was in the final round for auditions for Data and he didn't get it, obviously. Yeah. So this is his uh, consolation prize. Three episodes where he plays this 
weird, large-handed, wise squishy hands. sage. Squishy hands. Squishy, ha- squishy hands, wise sage man. And space pajamas onesie thing. Right. It's very comfortable yes. in his travels. Yes. I would totally wear that, like, onesie sweater that he wears. <laughs> it's, a, it's just like a big winter sweater turtleneck. Yeah, it's that, really like, your quick. That, grandma <laughs> knitted for you. <laughs> it's fine. I mean... It doesn't feel science fiction-y. It's just like, believe, just close your eyes, Wesley, and don't look at what you're doing, and then your arms will start to disappear. And, and see the numbers. That's yeah. the, the line, oh right? God, no. And, and like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, like, it isn't kind of, like, cool to think about the possibility of other species in the universe who experience space and time and reality in a different way than we do because of course that's that's probably the truth but like the way that this is presented is so deus ex machina where he just like comes in and fixes it it bothers me because like we don't even need him like wesley could have figured this out on his own and it could have just been like more of about about like a connection that Beverly and Wesley have together and have it be like a family thing and then leave the squ- Mr. Squishy Hands pants, <laughs> sweater pants out of it. <laughs> Sorry, I love these names. Mr. Squishy sweater pants. <laughs> who, who are the ladies talking about? Um, yeah, no, I... I for me, I like this episode and my enjoyment goes down a notch once the travelers introduced. Yeah. Not not because of that character per se, but because I did think it was sort of unnecessary for the episode and kind of a weird term because I do feel like this is a Beverly episode. And then once the traveler comes, it suddenly becomes more of a Wesley episode. And I feel like it's a bit of a distraction from what's going on. Absolutely. And it's also a little bit of you're talking before about how it's a little bit of like a trope of advanced species and just being like, well, as humans, you're not advanced enough to understand or know. So it's just, you know, what we realize is just that there was, there was so many different ways they could have wrapped up this episode that it was just unnecessary to bring the traveler in and sort of, a, Oh, he comes in and he fixes everything with his squishy hand magic. Um, <laughs> because with this magic full body sweater yes because uh you know we thought of like okay yeah maybe it's just maybe it's just wesley or maybe it's wesley and laforge maybe when they did go to the space station it's you know somebody else boarded that was related to what they're doing and we find out when we flash back to the the real world that he's helping, you know, Wesley and LaForge. Like, there's so many ways they could have yeah. just tweaked the script a little bit so that we didn't have that. Yeah. One of the, my favorite points we, we brought up last time we recorded this episode was just that even though they're kind of doing their thing on their side, in Beverly's little made-up world, in the bubble, really the twist is when she realizes she's the one who's stuck and this vortex that she's been avoiding because she thinks it's the enemy, she thinks it's a problem, she realizes that's the solution and I need to, I need to jump into it next time I see it. And it's a little, yes. even though it's based in logic and it's a puzzle, she's figured it out. It is sort of like a leap of faith. And so that's, that's really what the solution is. Kind of not see the numbers with Wesley, but the fact that Beverly realizes what's going on and that she's going to make that jump because yes, if she yes. doesn't, she's dead. Yes. She saves herself. We don't need the traveler. Bev saves herself. Like, also, her, all the time leading up to her figuring it out, like when she's going through the motions of figuring it out, it's so fucking lovely. Like when she's arguing with the computer and she's like, I wasn't talking to you. And when she's like, what is that that one moment where she's like, computer, what is the nature of the universe? And the computer says, what is what does the computer say? Uh, the universe is a spheroid region 705 meters in diameter. <laughs> it's so yes, and I've funny. seen so many magnets memes shirts with the quote of if you know if there's nothing wrong with, with me, me maybe there's something wrong with the universe right but so like yeah her, her just like talking herself through the whole thing her having like moments where she's like read the crew manifest and then do i have the necessary skills to actually fly this starship and the computer's like that information is not available and she's like okay 
like it's it's wonderful to like watch an intelligent person go through the motions of figuring out something really difficult and she just does such a great job at it it just makes me love that character more it makes me love gates obviously everything makes me love gates but like this episode just like solidifies for me like beverly crusher is fucking awesome (laughs) and she did her own stunts dude that part where she's like from that chair i think the chair chair. technically technically she's hanging from the ceiling in that shot oh my god i love yeah i um but that's kind of fun when she's you know avoiding getting sucked in before she realizes what's going on that's actually gates mcfadden like holding onto a chair from the ceiling and yeah doing all that i fucking love it they did so much with a bottle episode you know like they don't ever leave the ship like there aren't any special sets they don't they're not on location anywhere. They're just like on the on the set for the Enterprise and it's totally wonderful. It doesn't feel like a bottle episode. Yeah. Where most of the scenes are with one person. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I don't know. Do you have more things to say about this? I think we got the the only thing was I did watch this episode with Keith, my husband, who knows you very well, and his only contribution to the viewing was that when the doctor what's the doctor's name again her mentor oh dr dalen quace when he shows up with the transporter pad um keith just went diabetes <laughs> um, and it was it was like i'm writing that down right now oh my um, god he does but, look um, like wilford brimley a little bit <laughs> a little bit oh, so that really was does. That was just a, a fun moment. Yeah, basically, th- this is one of those episodes that I watch when I'm feeling like kind of hopeless because it really is also like an underdog figuring it out and having like a mo- a- an aha moment. That's something that I like to watch when I'm sad. Like I made Dan watch my cousin Vinny with me on my birthday <laughs> because I was like, I need a win. I need to watch something where somebody is not supposed to win and then they win because they worked really hard like i need to watch i need like i need to watch like mighty ducks oh boy. I, I need like a cheesy ass win where i can like feel good in my heart and this feels like that because she's she's like going through all the steps she thinks about it really hard she uses her brain and then she does it and it and it's like yay and it's a happy ending you know, we found a solution, like we figured it out. And and the viewer is kind of along for the ride. It's not yeah. like we already know what's going on. And we're just waiting for the character to catch up with it. Yeah, um, I have no patience for that. And it's a it's a nice escape. Absolutely. And I get to hang out with my friend Gates. Exactly. McFadden. My best friend in the world, Gates McFadden. <laughs> she doesn't know it yet. But we're best friends. And we're gonna have a nice conversation about how she danced with David Bowie. That's right, as uh, part of the Labyrinth, right? Yeah, she choreographed the Labyrinth, you guys. Just, like, look up Gates McFadden, Cheryl McFadden. She goes by Cheryl McFadden when she's choreographing, and she goes by Gates when she's acting. But, like, just look up the shit that this woman does because she is prolific, and she is multi-talented and multifaceted and just a delight of a person. I agree. Well, um, should we talk about my friend that I invited to the party? Let's talk about your best friend. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Your best friend, Andrew Robinson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. So I picked The Wire from Deep Space Nine. I know it's season two later. Episode 22. uh, I was going to say, Lurser is much better at being on the ball about what episode (laughs) it is. I'm just like, it's late season two. I'm like, just in case you want to watch these episodes, I like to like, tell you which which episode of which season it is because like maybe somebody will listen to this and be like oh hell yeah i forgot about that or or be like i'm so into that idea i want to look it up now you can season two episode 22 of ds9 boom there you go <laughs> and i have a little bit well, of a backstory oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> about so many 90s things right, um so I have a little bit of a, like a, a backstory, a little bit of context for my appreciation for this episode. And that is, first of all, Deep Space Nine, I saw it much later than TNG. TNG I saw when it was already kind of starting to do you know, reruns and syndication in the early 90s and stuff. And Deep Space Nine, I didn't really get into um, my late 20s, mid to late 20s. I was watching 
Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, yeah. with my then boyfriend. And we were enjoying it. It wasn't completely done, but we were binging what had been released. And uh, my boyfriend, who at the time was also really uh, a big Star Trek fan, said, well, if you like this and you like TNG, you really should watch D Space Nine. It has, you know, Ronald D. Moore was in charge of the Battlestar Galactica reboot. He has a history in Star Trek, started on TNG, moved up to Deep Space Nine with um, being kind of a, a big a big component of that show along with, again, going to names. You yeah, mentioned Iris, him. Iris Stephen Bear. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so he just, he, I was encouraged to watch it. And at the time I was like, sure, just give me more. Um, <laughs> and so believe it or not, the first episode that I saw of D Space Nine was In the Pale Moonlight, which is later in the show. Yeah. And definitely one that's very much involved with the Dominion War and not a bottle show, as you were saying. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because um, my boyfriend said, you might have a few questions, but the reason I'm showing you this episode is because I want you to see how good it can get because we're going to have to slog through a few early seasons. Uh, and I think we can all agree that every Star Trek, Star Trek show kind of has like choppy earlier seasons. There are some good ones, but it's yeah. a little rocky. Well, there's so the I hair appreciate. test for all for for three right. of them. There's the hair test. There's the Riker grows the beard and then the show gets good. There's Avery Brooks shaves his head and grows the goatee and then the show gets good. And then there's Janeway gets rid of her Jane Austen bun on top of her this, head and gets. Isn't it called it. the bun of steel? <laughs> that's what I've always heard it called. Oh, that's hilarious! And once again, we're talking about uh, Star Trek hair. Yeah, Star uh, Trek hair. There's going to be an episode. There's going to be an episode on the hair. But when Janeway gets the bob. You know, then mm -hmm. it gets then it gets better. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the pale moonlight, though, has Garrick is a big component of it. And mm. I really like the show, but I especially was intrigued by his character. I was just like, who is this gray man of mystery? So when we started, I was just like so eager to get into more Garrick. And The Wire is even though we have appearances of Garrick before this, the Wire is really like a meaty first huge episode we have where it has him and it's also about him. Yeah, let's get a little synopsis going. Yeah, so I think I can do this pretty quickly. Um, so basically what happens is Ron Deep Space Nine, Bashir and Garrick are having their one of their lunches together. Garrick starts wincing in pain and Bashir becomes very suspicious. Uh, it comes to light that Garrick has a device in his brain that is malfunctioning. It was and it makes there. him unable to wait for a table at a restaurant. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm kidding. I'm just he, kidding. He, Sorry. He suggests that they go to the Klingon restaurant, or Bashir does, and I don't think we ever get to see this Klingon restaurant, by the way, in Deep Space Nine. Maybe like, like one in my time. notes. Yeah. Like, why don't we ever go there? Um, <laughs> but yes, so it turns out that he has a device in his brain that was put there by um, the intelligence agency of the Obsidian Order on Cardassia Prime, that he used to be a member of this agency. So dun, dun, dun. Dum, dum, and it dum, was dum, put dum. there to um, protect him against any sort of torture. If he were to be tortured and have pain inflicted on him, it would instead uh, trigger pleasure and get him out of a, a torture situation. Um, because he is so depressed about his exile in Deep Space Nine, though, he has permanently put it on which it was never intended for long-term use he set it on for two years straight and it is starting to malfunction mm -hmm. um, which by the way is a side note that i kind of always made me wonder if he was in a situation where he was getting tortured and they and he was using this device like would he just eventually orgasm uh, that's just where my weird brain goes <laughs> oh my god i'm just is I'm there like, a fanfic about that there's got to be fanfic oh my gosh there, there has to be um, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, my um, God. So basically, the, the whole episode largely is about this withdrawal that Garrick is going through, where he's going through the withdrawal, this device not working anymore. He's not getting the artificial endorphins flooded through his system, and Bashir is helping him through it. They also have the challenge that the computers have been wiped of all the medical files for Cardassians. So they're right. running out of time to save Garrick. And, he, and it's going to take miles. What does he say? Like two to three weeks? 
weeks. Something like that. I was yeah. like, no way, Miles. And so Bashir, it ends with Bashir having to go visit an Auburn Tane, who is the so-called retired leader of the Obsidian Order, to get the information he needs to save Eric's life. Um, Paul Dooley! In time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much just, this episode is a lot of talking. I mean, we see Tane's home for the last, like, five minutes of the episode. Yeah. But it's, it's really like it's, a play. It really feels it like a play. Yes. And so it's an episode where there's just a lot of talking. And there's a lot of character development for Garrick and then also the relationship between Garrick and Bashir. And it's, it's one of those episodes I think Star Trek does really well when it's more character-based, just like I think with um, Remember Me, they do yeah. a really good job of the, just, you know, just the sci-fi mystery ones. Totally. This is like, this is some spy drama shit. And yeah. it's so and fucking fun. It is. And um, Andrew Robinson is just, such a great actor oh, he actually wonderful. is wonderful yes and oh my gosh i mean all the actors that are involved with star trek are fine but then you have those that are just you know they, they're the big leagues and andrew robinson oh, yeah. is known for jimmy harry you're talking about how he is in hellraiser <laughs> he's the only reason i watched all of hellraiser i don't but, need i don't need to see that movie ever again but he is a national treasure and he he yes. actually is retired now from USC's um, Masters of Acting program in California, where coincidentally Gates McFadden teaches as adjunct. So that's kind of like a fun connection between our two oh episodes. Oh my God, yeah. I love it. But basically he's got acting chops and this is an episode where they really do wind him up and let him go. And he has some beautiful acting in this episode. And one of the things I've always loved about Andrew Robinson is that when he, you know, he worked with what the writers were giving him to give his line so much subtext. Um, with yes. Garrick, nothing is as it seems, and he might say one thing, Absolutely. but the way he uses his voice and the way he uses his his whole face and his whole body when he's acting, even he with all so of this much intense layers. makeup on, yes. like he's still like the Cardassian makeup is a big prosthetic. Like it is not, it's not like the Bajoran nose bridge, you know, like you don't have your whole face to work with. You have stuff all over your face mm -hmm. and he is still like, he still can give like, you know, that weird, like smile where you're like, I don't even know what he's thinking right now. I'm scared. Like yeah. his little tiny smile, like how he can like squint his eyes a little bit. Like you, st he still has all that nuance it, underneath exactly. all of that makeup. And it's still very subtle because you're right because it's not just makeup and prosthetics. I mean, he has a wig. The clothes are um, fabric upholstery. So that to some degree, you know, uh, has to restrict him to oh, yeah, his body. Absolutely. But that's the one thing about Garrick. Like you said, it's so subtle. And the wonderful thing about Garrick is you don't, you don't trust him, but he's so charming and so seductive mm. in a way that you kind of just... You're like, I don't even care. Like, I'm, yes, because he's you might fascinating. Kill me, but I'll hang out with you, sure. You know, <laughs> I, I don't envy any of the actors who have to go toe to toe with Andrew Robinson because I feel like for real, he, he acts circles around people. Um, he really does. He steals the show. Like, he does. you cannot take your eyes off this man. It's amazing. And like, Alexander Siddig does a great job in this episode like oh yeah he's fine but, but he's no andrew robinson right and this when is honestly, all up in his face right and this is honestly one of the first episodes for me that i'm like okay bashir's not like a obnoxious like hormones raging teenage boy that's just like chasing every woman around the space station you know, like the first couple of seasons of DS9, he they're still trying to figure out what to do with him. And he's like just this like wide eyed, like baby deer that's like obsessed with Jadzia. And you're just like, oh, my God, shut up, shut up. But this episode, they give him something to do. He's not there's no I mean, people could argue with this. There's no like sexual tension between him and Garrick. Didn't you tell me that like somebody else was supposed to be in that? Yeah, it was supposed to be someone else, and then it and it was supposed to be a woman, and I feel like it wouldn't have been as. It was supposed strong. to be Kira. Ah. Yeah. So in in the episode we just did with the Picard one through five episode, I mentioned that there was an episode where Kira was supposed to have a drug addiction withdrawal 
uh, storyline where she was getting over stimulants from being in the resistance and this the wire is supposed to be that episode they originally had Kira getting off of those drugs but they decided against it um which if you want to hear all that you can listen to the previous episode yeah um but instead they switched it to Garrick which I think makes a lot more sense yes and it's and it's great because not only the points you brought up about you know just putting Bashir with Garrick and kind of their relationship because this as Garrick starts to lose control um, as the withdrawal symptoms get worse and worse, he's usually such a controlled character. And when he starts to get kind of raw and more emotional and vulnerable, he starts to really push back at Bashir in several different yeah. ways. He tells Bashir like different stories about why he got kicked out of the Obsidian Order and why he's in exile. Um, so it's it's a really nice episode between both of them as well. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I love their weird friendship um, yeah they're great i know there's foils. a lot of speculation about like <laughs> with fans because like garrick was supposed to be a gay character but they didn't like oh. yeah they, and they that was established that in the loud. recent the recent documentary yeah you were saying i haven't seen it but you have and i've definitely read about it where yeah yeah like iris Stephen bear said like garrick is supposed to be gay um but they didn't come out and actually say it there was you know studio executives and people that were upset about pushing the envelope too far and they didn't go there and iris steven bear says it's actually one of his greatest regrets uh regarding ds9 that they didn't actually just like come out and say that garrick is gay yeah um, and didn't commit to it yeah yeah didn't actually like go all the way with it um and andrew robinson has also gone on the record for many years saying like the very first episode where Garrick was just supposed to be a one-time character he wanted to play Garrick as omnisexual because he's like it's an alien who knows and he says he Ugh, even Andrew Robinson he, I love you <laughs> and, he, and he says yeah I kind of played the first episode like I maybe was a little attracted to Bashir but then they said okay you need to stop that and he kind of just shelved that for you know yeah yeah <laughs> um in the wire and in the pale moonlight, there are uh, scenes in each episode where Andrew J. Robinson goes flying over a table. Um, <laughs> in the wire, it's him getting mad at Bashir and he just takes Bashir and they go flying over a table in his quarters. There's, you know, glass and things breaking everywhere. And oh, then in, in the pale moonlight, it ends with another great Garrick monologue. Um, and that whole scene starts off because. Cisco comes in, he's pissed at Garrick, and he just like uppercuts Garrick in his tailor shop. And again, Garrick goes flying across the table. And after a couple of viewings, I had this thought of, you know, you don't see a lot of Star Trek scripts calling for characters to get just, you know, launched over furniture or anything like that. Like maybe, maybe a few kicks and action thing here and there. And I just thought with uh, his movie experience, I thought this has to be Andrew Robinson's doing somehow. Like, it's got to be him saying, what if we did this? <laughs> and sure enough, I want to say at the end of last year, I just happened to stumble upon um, an interview of him from when he was doing um, Dirty Harry. And sure enough, like in the first two minutes, he mentions talking to the director about the scene where his character, the he's the big baddie in it. And um, Clint Eastwood is, you know, Dirty Harry. He shoots Andrew Robinson's character on a football field. And so the interview shows Andrew Robinson going, so I talked to the director and I said, well, what if when I get shot, I do a, a front somersault as if like I was an animal that just got wounded. And I thought, yes. Yes, that's all I need to hear. This, this yeah. to me in my heart proves that Andrew Robinson is the one saying, "What if I, what if I grab Bashir and we just go flying across the table, or what yes. if I get launched across, yeah, my my tailor shop?" Oh my god, like hundred percent, you're right. Like no question, that was totally his idea. <laughs> I feel I feel pretty good about that theory. I think you nailed it. <laughs> I think you got it. Dude, Andrew Robinson, man, MVP. Yes. For real. This guy, I mean, he really gets to show, like, such a huge range, starting with uh, him doing a stunt and, like, physical acting like that, like, getting launched over a table. But then also, like, the, like, 
small moments and the big moment. He just just has such a wide range of emotional output in this episode. It's, oh yeah, I mean, at one point he's drunk. You know. Oh my god, the drunk part! I love that part. Give me, give me back my bottle. <laughs> um, we get drunk, Eric. We get uh, crying, Garrick. We get pissed off, Garrick. We just get so many different emotions. It's great. Oh my god, drunk um, Garrick! I loved drunk Garrick. <laughs> we get to see Garrick drinking. They say it's Kinar, but it's blue. I they don't know. they kind of changed it throughout the season before committing. Yeah, you you pointed out that it's like bright blue in this episode. It looks like Gatorade Frost. <laughs> exactly. We remember. We know what that tastes like mm, from our first episode. Well, um, can we talk about Paul Dooley though? Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about um, Payne is who Larissa is referring to. Which I, do you want to talk a little bit about who Paul Dooley is, in case some people aren't familiar with him? You know who Paul Dooley is, even <laughs> right. if you've ne- if even if you don't know this name, Paul Dooley, you know him. He's usually like the dad character, the like very sweet like well-meaning dad character that might be a little like absent-minded or something. I know him at like he was a he was the dad in what's that movie? Runaway Bride. And see, I've never seen that, but I know him <laughs> as the dad from 16, 16 Candles. 16 Candles. Yeah, he's been in tons of stuff, but when I look at what he's done, I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay." Yes, he was all he's also been in um a few Christopher Guest movies as well. He was in Waiting for Guffman and A Mighty Wind. He's just like a very like sweet-faced man and him in this part is just wonderful because it makes it so much scarier when he's like the scary guy. He's really great in this role and he again just like Garrick um Payne was supposed to be just a uh, he was written with Oh my the- god, what? I'm just I'm sorry, I'm seeing this thing. I'm I'm on his Wikipedia page and he was on an episode of The Golden Girls where he played Isaac Newton? What? Okay, I need to watch that. I was going to say we need to find that. Uh um, immediately. A screenshot of that is going on our Instagram too. <laughs> um Yeah, the wonderful thing about Paul Dooley as Tane is that it's another instance where Payne was supposed to just be a one-time character in this episode, and Paul Dooley did such an amazing job that they brought him back for um, a handful of episodes in Deep Space Nine. And so at, at the very end, Bashir just, you know, like I, I said, he pops into Tane's home where he's retired, mm-hmm. and Tane comes around the corner, and, you know, Paul Dooley is an older gentleman. He's still alive, by the way. He's in his early 90s. Oh, my um, God. So he comes in as if he's like, Bashir's college friend's dad who's seeing him at the lake house for spring break and has this sort of warmth as if he's like whoa, 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 Bashir like what can I get you a sandwich or a beer um and he's which is this- so Paul Dooley <laughs> yes and and he feels like he should be this older retired Cardassian he even has this wonderful tweed jacket and one of the things I love is that apparently in all the TNG shows um, other alien races have discovered warp drive and tweed uh, <laughs> no one all... wears blue jeans anymore or t-shirts but, but we, we got still tweed. have tweed <laughs> so he just he comes around the corner and he's very um, he, he has a lot of hospitality he's also very charismatic just like Garrick and he offers Bashir um, Tarkalian tea uh, which is significant because earlier in the episode, when Odo is trying to explain to, to Bashir who the Obsidian Order is, he mentioned that a Cardassian family can't sit down without the Obsidian Order documenting what and when they ate, and just to show like how intense they are as far as gathering information. So when this key is offered to Bashir, Bashir sort of happily exclaims like, oh, I, I drink that all the time. And <laughs> you see this look on his face that shows that he realizes, oh my gosh, Odo's right. And it's this great moment because again, with the sort of idea of subtext and duality, what Tane is doing is he's being very charming and hospitable, but he's also, it's also a threat. It's also him saying, don't be fooled. I have a lot of power and you want to be careful with me. But they also have this dance back and forth where he does seem like such a, a warm character. And I think that's one of the great things about 
Tain versus Garrick is that if Tain is supposed to be the advanced Pokemon version of Garrick, <laughs> one of the things that Tain has that Garrick doesn't is this sense of warmth. Like Garrick is very charming yeah. and, um, you know, very sneaky. But Tane actually has mastered this sense of warmth that is very disarming to the people he's talking to. So, yes. you know, at one point, Bashir even says, um, oh, thank you for saving his life. And Tane says, I, I'm not doing it to be nice. I'm not doing him any favors. I want Garrick to live a long, miserable life in exile on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And at one point, uh, Bashir, who is, like you were saying, kind of a cocky character, kind of mouths off to Tane. And Tane, yeah, he, yeah. you can tell his tone switches and he says like, we better run along now. And it is, it just kind of sends shivers up your spine because oh, yeah. Paul Dooley has this great delivery of being very dad-like, but when you cross him and he changes tone, it, it, de it definitely is a little alarming. Yeah. He goes from like a little league coach to like mob dad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so, you know, props to Paul Dooley. Again, his role was extended into some great episodes for later in Deep Space Nine. And then he actually ends up being the dad. Yeah. And then, and then <laughs> you kind of like wonder where the truths are and what things haven't been revealed to us. And yeah, later yeah. in the season, you find out that Tane is actually Garrett's father. I love that turn. It's so good. But that's yeah. it for a different time. That's it for and a different Nila, time. his mother. Which, oh, my God. Yeah. So poor, poor Garrick. Like, poor Garrick. It, it works you out know. for him in the end, but still, like, he just he just has a lot of nice twists and turns. Yeah. Oh, also, here's the thing I wanted to say. Bashir is being not only a good doctor, but also a really good friend in this episode. Laura knows that I love when people are good friends to people. I know. You're like the friendship police. I like, love it. Good friend alert. Yes. Like Deanna is a good friend. Picard is a good <laughs> friend. Like, but for real, like Bashir does not, he's not required to go out of his way. Like as a, as Garrick's friend, because like, honestly, at this point in the series, they're, they're kind of acquaintances that eat a meal together sometimes like this is mm -hmm. the thing that makes them friends and that's a that's a great way of putting it because they're kind of a great foil to each other because garrick mm -hmm. has a lot of mm, seediness going on a lot of unsavory yeah. and a lot of secrets yes and yes. bashir is very positive i remember reading somewhere that he was supposed to be sort of the tng-esque character as far as his positivity and optimism and he is like when he first comes in yeah. he's like I'm a young doctor and I'm going to go and do frontier medicine and I'm going to make a difference. And, and I'm going to say you know, a lot of stuff that's going to offend a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And, and Garrick is pretty much like the opposite of him where he represents all that is unsavory. Yes. Um, and, and morally gray. And he's like and, been through the ringer. He's already had so yes. many experiences. He's just like, he does not have time for anything. And Julian is so green and he's like yes. straight out of the academy. And he's like, the world is my oyster. And Garrick's yeah, like, and so, that oyster is poisonous. <laughs> and Bashir is very naive until he kind of yes. gets some, some scrapes and bruises, so to speak. Um, but one of the things about, that's great about this episode is that you, you kind of pointed out before that Garrick challenges him as a doctor, um, as mm -hmm. both a, a and, and Bashir is unwavering, just like Crusher was with Hugh or other things we talked about. Where Bashir sees Garrick as a patient, and he says, "I don't care what you've done, I am going to treat you." And Garrick pushes back at him, saying, "You should know who you're treating." And that's when he starts telling all these kind of half truths about who he was in the Obsidian Order. And you can tell that Bashir, even though he's still going to do his job. He is a little disturbed by what he's hearing. Oh, yeah. And then Garrick also challenges Bashir as a, as a so-called friend and saying, we're not friends. We have lunch sometimes. Yeah. Like you said, it's like we're acquaintances. Like that yeah. doesn't like make he's, us. He's trying to push him away by hurting his feelings. Yeah. And he, and he knows like this is a child. This is, this is basically a child. And I'm just I'm going to try to push him hard enough that he doesn't want to come back. And it turns out then that Julian is much more resilient than Garrick thought he was, which yeah. is a n very nice moment for Julian's character. Because, again, 
so many hormones. You just <laughs> yeah, it kind of gives Bashir's character a little bit more meat on his bones. Absolutely. Far... I mean, if Bashir has not two physical meat because that that guy's yeah. still very skinny. <laughs> oh my god. He's yeah, so when they, skinny. When they do the Riza episode for Deep Space Nine, <laughs> I was just very happy to see that um, the Sheer's arms are about the same as mine. And he has the same upper body strength with that tank top he's wearing. <laughs> he's so skinny. But I felt really he's good. I was like, pick. you be body positive. Yes. 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 I'm going to show my arms more too. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if it's like Bashir and Miles, um, another great, the other great relationship Bashir has is really Bashir and Garrick. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, because his, I mean, his relationship with Miles is, is just, they're bros, you know? Like, it's not super complex. I want to say they're really, it's supposed to be about class, even though Star Trek humans aren't really supposed to have that anymore. But, you know, like, Miles is supposed to be kind of like the blue collar worker guy, and then Bashir is the genetically enhanced you know superhuman it's more of a a conventional male friendship i would say you know i would agree with that but julian and garrick is like totally different than that like they're not they don't like talk about their feelings the way that like miles and julian would they don't like go hang out on purpose like garrick just like follows julian into the holodeck without permission well (laughs) julian uh, and the truth is like i think even though Garrick introduces himself to Bashir, I think Bashir, again, like I was saying, becomes very intrigued with Garrick. And yeah. you know, he's convinced that Garrick isn't all he seems, that he's not a simple tailor. Yes. So he kind of has this mission that he's going to figure out the mystery of Garrick. Um, yes. and, and he's kind of giddy about that. Bashir just like can't help himself. He wants to figure out what Garrick's all about. So he keeps having lunch with him. And that does like solidify a, it, a thing about Julian, too, about that, that he is... So curious. This is one of the reasons yes. he's that he is a doctor because he's curious. He's a scientist. He's interested in things. So it makes sense that he would be fascinated by somebody like Garrick or fascinated by somebody like Dax. Oh yeah, you know that total that makes sense to me. But just like once he starts leaving her alone, I'm like, fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. This this is like peak DS9 right here. Like there is nothing wrong with this episode. This episode is. Like start to finish, great. And for me, this is like an escape yeah, situation. It, it's funny because I mean, it is an intense episode. It's about you know basically addiction withdrawal and, um, and there's definitely and some... spies like basically a scarier tell she are like yeah, it's it's some that's that's some intense shit. Like the Cardassians are intense. Like oh, they're they so good, are though. always a lot. There's like fucking drama queens. There are no chill Cardassians. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like freaking out all, all intense, the time. They're all you know? a lot. Yeah. But apparently and, um, their literature is really boring. <laughs> <laughs> really predictable. Yes. Same story over and over and over again. It's wonderful because this, it almost does again remind me of a play where this episode is bookended. It opens and closes with um, these lunches, this ritual that Bashir and Garrick have mm-hmm. um, and in both cases they are talking about Cardassian literature and um, going into it so it's, it's a really nice kind of way to wrap up the episode in a little bow yes um, yes it, and again this is an episode I think where I mean hell if I saw In the Pale Moonlight and I was okay and I'd never seen any Deep Space Nine you can definitely watch The Wire so again if it's been yeah. a long time and you're inspired to go back or if you just haven't seen it before this is an episode you could see and then kind of like my introduction to deep space nine just have someone tell you you know watch this episode it's really good it'll show you how good it could be and then go where you may right like if you're a like diehard tos fan like and have never seen ds9 you might be able to get into ds9 through this episode yeah i kind of like the idea sometimes of if you could only show one episode to a friend or family member to have them get a taste of what the series is like what would that be yeah we need to do a series on that hopefully we'll get that going when we can actually see each other again <laughs> i know we'll figure it out we'll figure it out yeah so yeah we would love to hear 
If you're a super huge Trekkie like us, we would love to hear what your go-to Star Trek self-care episodes are. What episodes make you feel the warm fuzzies inside for your favorite characters? What episodes are able to like take you out of this bonkers world that we currently live in and forget about the horror for a while what are what are the episodes that make you maybe make you feel like you're working through some of the issues that you're having with the world as it is like I would love to know because <laughs> I feel like my episode does two of those things like it it comforts me because I get to hang out with my friend Gates McFadden and also like it it kind of helps me like get through some of the feelings I was having about being isolated and separated from the people that I love too so you know, it's we all have our different ones that we love. Maybe it's a mine, maybe it's a dumb one. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, like I said, my my uh, honorable mention, disasters, is a very very fun guilty pleasure. Yeah, um, totally. So it might just be something that's really a fun, silly episode, right? Maybe it's just uh, the higher, the fewer. Oh goodness. <laughs> Maybe what it's Barclay, the... like one, oh, like Barclay. <laughs> That's a good one too. Barclay also... in the holodeck with all of his, all of his friends. What's the Deep Space Nine one where all the tribbles? Is it tribble and it's it's trials and tribulations? Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, which is not only like a fun one, but actually, I didn't realize that one gets on so many bests of Deep Space Nine lists. Oh yeah, that's an intense one. I love that. Like Dax thinks that Spock is hot. That's my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, send us your, your, some of your favorites and, and we'll watch them. Man, I mean, it's a crazy world out there. And it is, it is really nice to just disappear into a franchise like Star Trek, especially because there is so much Star Trek. on. Like all the Star Trek is on the internet and you can watch all of it. It's like thousands of hours of entertainment. It is. And we should mention right now, if you haven't noticed, um, CBS All Access is offering, last time I checked, it was a free month. I don't yeah. know if they've changed it. Free month. So if, yeah, free month. So if you want to get on and um, also watch Picard, watch Discovery, or any of the other little Star Trek things they have up there, um, you can do that as well. Yeah. Or just like go back and watch. I, I just finished rewatching Enterprise. Oh, man. Dude. We're going to talk about Faith of the Heart oh, at God. some point. It's going to happen because I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got faith. Oh. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, we're going to, we'll go there. <laughs> Don't you worry, everyone. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about <laughs> Diane Warren on this podcast. If it's the last thing I do. <laughs> Oh, good. So, all right, guys. Thanks for coming down the wormhole with us. We uh, hope you enjoyed it. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time, you guys. <gasps> I got faith of the heart. Going on my heart will take me. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Find us in the collective at intothewormhole.show, on Instagram at intothewormhole.podcast. Into the Wormhole is brought to you by We Own This Town. Gates, come on the show. We love Gates. We love you, Gates. Gates, we love you. Come down the wormhole. <laughs> come down the wormhole with us, Gates, please.